he came to, if you talk to Christians, there's a lot of ideas about why Jesus came. Well, he came to heal the sick. He came to drive out demons. He came to preach to the poor. He came to do this. And uh, I, I just wanted to focus this morning on uh, two of the things that Jesus said he came to do. And uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about those uh, a little bit in detail. Today's message is kind of a homily. It's a conglomerate of different thoughts in an attempt to try and uh, get our arms around a rich spiritual truth and to incarnate, to work out those truths in our daily lives, so this ability to capture, understand, and execute rich spiritual truth. So um, I'm going to poke the bear a little this morning in, in various issues. I, I want to talk about different ideas and then try and lasso them all together and, and bring them into a tight bunch at the end. I am so grateful for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ because in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed that is by faith from its very beginning to its very end. There is no moment in the gospel where you start by grace and faith and then you grow and then at some stage sort of in the middle, you cease needing grace and faith and now you have works and obedience. The gospel, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of this gospel because it is the gospel that is the salvation that comes out of heaven. It's not the, the salvation that is earned by people. It's not a righteousness that comes from the law, but that which is by faith in Christ Jesus from very first to very last. It is by grace through faith. It is not of my own works so that no one in this room can boast. Can we just agree about that? There is no one in this room who can boast that we deserve to be in the position we're in with God. I made it here. No, he, he drew me and he gave me the grace and faith to come to salvation and then he continues to keep me. Right, that's what the scripture basically says. So my love and devotion for Jesus are not the markers of what love truly is. John says, this is the marker, this is the standard of what love is, that he loved us and gave himself up for us. That's the standard of my faith. So today's message may seem like a lot of different thoughts. Hopefully I can bring them all together. We're called to spread a message to a world where some people, Jesus said according to his parable, are gonna be ready for it and they're gonna be fruitful with this gospel. Some people, when you talk to them, are going to be choked up by weeds, the deceitfulness of wealth, the cares of this life, uh, boasting of what they have and do, do, excuse me. Some are going to be hardened to the message, just really tough. And some are going to embrace it superficially, enough for a quick inspection, but not enough to last for a drought. Now, we have to go out and tell everybody the good news. That's what Jesus said. Don't decide beforehand what kind of ground it is. Go and sow some seed. And the, the truth is that God is going to reveal himself differently to different people. So uh, Psalm 18, there's this great passage where David said, to the faithful, you're going to show yourself faithful. And to the blameless, you show yourself blameless. And to the pure, you show yourself pure. But to the sh uh, deceitful, you show yourself shrewd. That's interesting to me. That's some of what you learn about God reflects who you are. God is going to overwhelm people in all sorts of ways, but I love that the deceitful are going to be discover that God is shrewd. James 1.27 says, Religion that God the Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, 
that you look after the widows and the orphans in their distress and that you keep yourself from being polluted by this world. So I've got to go out and share with a whole bunch of eclectic different people whose responses to what I'm sharing are going to be radically different. Some people are going to embrace me and say, thank you so much that you came with this gospel. And some people are going to hate me for sharing it. And I have, to, I have to understand that and get it and not be knotted with it. Jesus said, if they hate you and they kick you out, then you shake the dust off your feet and say, so sorry to bother you. I'm going there now. And what I've discovered is that how, uh, so, so we have to go out into this world. But Jesus said, now, when you go out into the world, be careful how you love the world. Because you're sent into the world, but you're not allowed to let the world get into you. Can I just stop for a minute and let me just say, today's message, I'm poking the bear, okay? And we need to talk a little bit. There's a scripture in Isaiah 1 that says, come now, let's reason together, says the Lord. Bring your case. Come sit down. Let's talk. Let's have a little bit of an engagement. And this morning's message is less about me instructing or saying this is what you should think about. It's, it's, it's me offering an opportunity for us to sit and listen and to have dialogue with the Holy Spirit. Is that fair? I think we need a lot more dialogue, a lot more listening, and a lot less preaching in our country at the moment. I think we could all do with a little more listening and a little bit more responding. So yeah, if, if we're saying it's our job to go out and speak to people about all sorts of things, then here's what I've learned, is that how we respond to wisdom or correction is probably the best test of our character. Because some people you're going to go out and preach the gospel to, and they're going to hear the gospel, and they're going to take it, and they're going to repent, and they're going to turn their life around, they're going to embrace Jesus, and you're going to see an explosion, a massive transformation in their life. Huge difference. They grow like weeds in the kingdom. They just, man, and just on fire, boom. And some people, for love or money, you'll never get that seed into their hard heart. They will not take it. Will not take correction or wisdom or anything like that. Proverbs 1, let me give you an example. Repent, this is wisdom speaking. Repent at my rebuke, then I will pour out my thoughts to you, and I'll make known to you my teachings. So wisdom goes, hey, hey, probably shouldn't be doing that, then watch as what you'd say about that. Well, who do you, I know who. goes, okay, oh, no, no, you go, no, go ahead. But when, when wisdom speaks and people go, oh, then he says, I'll pour out my thoughts to you, to that person. I'll pour out my thoughts and I'll, I'll let them know my teachings. Wisdom, wisdom is not going to invade. Wisdom is going to prompt and watch for a response. Proverbs 9, whoever corrects a mocker is inviting insult. But whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. That says less about the person who's doing the correcting and more about the person who's receiving it. Do not rebuke scoffers and they will hate you. But rebuke the wise and they will love you. So we had those four people in a row. We said the same thing to all of them. You get four different responses to the same truth. 
was on a call recently. There was a group of us leaders meeting, and we heard from God. We got on a call with a lot more leaders, and we shared what we'd heard from heaven. And some people on the call got knotted up. And I said, I said to the people that had heard God with me, I said, mock those people. And some of the people who said some of that stuff, we thought were going to be stars. It turns out they're not hearing what God is saying at the moment. A rebuke impresses a discerning person. More than a hundred lashes a fool. If you go to someone who's discerning, you go, hey, 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 brother, I, I, there's, a, there's an issue here, and I just felt like I wanted to talk to you about this. Man, I so appreciate you coming to me. Thank you. I'm going to go and think about that. Thank you for the courage it took to come and say that to me. I appreciate you. That says something about that person. Proverbs 13, a wise son accepts his father's discipline, but a scoffer has never listened to rebuke. This is just for free because I love this topic. Proverbs 28 says, whoever rebukes the person will in the end gain more favor than the one who has a flattering tongue. In Proverbs 29, if you remain stiff-necked, after many rebukes, you'll suddenly be destroyed without remedy. So all of that to say, let me just round off that little mini sermon. I, I, decided, I decided a long time ago that I, I would like to try and develop the character that can hear correction and rebuke in such a way that wisdom wants to pour out more. And that's not always easy because people, when they come and rebuke you or when they're complaining or when they're pointing out something wrong, don't always do it in the wisest or most loving way. Sometimes they scream it at you. So I decided a while back to try and learn, even if, they, if they're being immature about the way, that, way they're saying it, to try and discern if there's any truth to what they're saying and if there is any truth to try and respond to that in the most mature way. Don't always get it right. That's an internal decision. How many of you know the internal decisions that you make are not always perfectly executed by you? But that's something in my heart. So I'd like to learn to receive wisdom from whatever counsel it comes from, because Proverbs 8 says wisdom, you can find wisdom in the university halls and on the street corners and in the marketplace and in the churches. And you, wisdom screams out from everywhere. And you don't have to just be in a high and a holy place to have wisdom speak to you. Wisdom wants to talk to you wherever you are. But if you have a heart that won't respond, then it's going to not speak much. But when I'm speaking wisdom, I must also understand that when I speak wisdom, not everybody's going to celebrate or accept or receive it well. Sometimes that's going to invite rebuke and correction. Now, if you understand that as a basic idea, we have to understand that heaven is our home and the preaching the good news on earth is our mission, not the other way around. The earth is not our home. I'm trying to get to heaven. It's not my mission. Heaven is my home, preaching the good news on earth. And we need to learn this balance. This is the danger in the church. 
it's so easy as a church person, because I've been, I've been preaching for over 40 years. You know, it's easy to, to be a church person and eventually uh, you, you keep doing what you're doing and every now and again, it's nice to just take a step back and say, is the fragrance that comes off my life still the love of God and the beauty of Jesus? Or does it have a little bit of a smack of legalism about it? Because, because if, if it's the love of God and the kindness of Jesus, then, then people who are far away from him still find it attractive. If it tunes towards legalism, then, then people who are far away from God want nothing to do with you. We were born from above, the scripture says, trying to reach people on earth, not born on the earth trying to reach heaven. Now, Jesus said, don't love this world, or John said, don't love this world or anything in this world, because if anyone loves this world, then the love of the Father is not in them. But we're called to go into all the world and preach to it. See, there's a little tension there. And this tension, uh, sometimes people err towards one side or the other. We, or these are truths in tension. Do not be polluted by the world, is what James 1 said. Uh, don't let yourself be polluted by the world. Uh, John said, don't love the world. Keep yourself pure, right? So there's, there's, an, there's enough of a weight of Scripture to say, hey, watch out. The world is a dangerous place. But Jesus said, go into all the world. Keeping ourselves from being polluted by the world is important, but so is going out into the world to share the good news. So to find the balance between those two is important. If we highlight keeping ourselves pure, we are less likely to become effective in our preaching. And if we emphasize going into all the world, we tend to be less likely to talk about purity. But a passion for purity and to not love this world and to keep ourselves from being polluted by the world, these are important truths. But so is the fact that Jesus died for people and he loves the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It wasn't the fact that Jesus died that made God love the world. It was the fact that God loved the world that made Jesus die. And there are people out there and probably people in here who are not always doing showcase-worthy things with their life. And our battle is not against the people who have fallen short in some way, because they're the people we're supposed to love and, and share our lives with. The battle is with enemies that are unseen and that rule this world. So as a general rule, I'm just going, hey, I have to find a balance between being somebody of the kingdom of heaven to usher that reality into this one, but at the same time, I have to go out into all this world to be with people who are not perfect and who are not doing well and who are not listening and who don't really care about my Jesus, and, and I have to go and share good news with them. And if we get this wrong, and sometimes we do as the church, we lead with the impurity of the people in the world. Well, you guys are X, Y, and Z, and that is clearly unbiblical. And we weren't called to lead with what is 
in my heart and in yours. We're called to lead with great good news. I don't have time for these, but let me just say, this is just Haswell wisdom. Pushing scripture aside for a preferred ideology is always a bad idea. Can I just say that? It's become a tendency I've noticed in the last few years to go, oh, yeah, yeah, but then you know the Bible's a little outdated because this is the new whiz-bang. And I'm going, you can keep the whiz-bang. I'm with the scriptures. Okay? So I, why, and there are some things that we have to deal with. And so the temptation is to just, well, let's just push the scriptures aside and let's embrace the new because we know, our, you know, there's never been a generation like us because we have whatever we have. And I'm going, yeah, no, I'm sticking with the scriptures. And we can have a discussion and debate around the scriptures all day long, but I'm not going to push the scriptures aside to embrace some other theology. And then um, listening to the Holy Spirit always leads to life and peace. And not listening to the Holy Spirit always leads to death. Okay. That was the end of message two. Talk about Jesus and Matthew. Jesus and Matthew. Matthew, or Levi was his name, he was a tax collector <clears throat> and in Judea. And so Judea was on a, on a road uh, uh, between north and south. It was kind of one of the main highways, uh, kind of the land bridge between Egypt and Assyria. And so a lot of people came up and down that for trade. And uh, <clears throat> so he was a tax collector for Herod, Tetrarch. And Herod was a collaborator with Rome, and nobody likes tax collectors. And because in those days, you think you have problems with the tax man, but in those days, there wasn't a tax code. So the tax man taxed you whatever he thought you could pay. And then he would pay the Romans what they demanded, and then whatever he got out of you, he would keep the rest. So nobody trusted the tax man, right? And they hated him because he was a collaborator with Rome. And Jesus wanted this man that nobody else wanted. And he called him. said, hey, come and be one of my disciples. And the Bible says of, of him that he left everything. It wasn't even <clears throat> like he could come back to it. Like, like, you know, Peter pulled his boats up on the shore and left them there. And then he went with Jesus. But he came back to fish later on. But Matthew left it. He couldn't come back to his booth. He resigned. And he burnt his bridges. And he was like, I'm in. And Jesus offered friendship to a man that nobody else wanted and everybody else scorned and rejected and nobody called him friend. So Matthew's yes to Jesus gave him life and forgiveness and a clean conscience. But more than that, it took a man who had a terrible re reputation and local ill fame and gave him a worldwide, millennia-long honor as the first man to give us a systematic relaying of the life and teaching and acts of Jesus in the gospel that he wrote. So a little yes in this little backwards place, a little yes to an unknown rabbi has made him world famous. <clears throat> there was a, uh, in Rome, there's a guy called Sabinus who was the only kind of tax collector that had a clean reputation. And he was so rare that they put up a plaque over his grave that says, here lies an honest publican. He would only collect what they asked. He wouldn't take anything else. 
He dealt honestly with people. He was so rare, nobody believed it. One of the eighth wonders of the world, you know, that thing. Jesus was sent to a sinful world to speak the truth and to purchase redemption, but a people least open to his ministry were not the recognized sinners or failures or unholy people. It was those who felt that they had the right to judge others who were dangerous to his message and enemies of his cause. They were wise and right in their own eyes. Think about that. It was not terrible sinners who opposed Jesus, but those who were wise in their own eyes and felt that they were righteous. Proverbs 26, do you see a person who's wise in their own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for them. Now, Matthew's job caused him to be shunned by everybody and all respectable and orthodox people, so he had to find friends among the outcasts like himself. Now, having discovered Jesus and having just seen, Matthew must have been around while Jesus was preaching. Uh, Jesus had already called Peter, James, and John, and, you know, and so he, Jesus had a few disciples, but then he comes to Matthew and he says, I want you to be one of mine too. So Matthew had obviously been hanging around at the back of the crowds listening, and something had happened in his heart. And so he, he throws this kind of going away party, because everyone's like, well, you're doing what now? You've given what now? When? And so he says, you guys are got to come meet him. So he throws a big party at his house and he invites all his ex-buddies who are really not the kind of people that a religious person would want to be known for. So Jesus gladly accepts the invitation. It's interesting to me that they weren't inviting the experts in the law. How many unwhole or sick, outcast people are inviting you to speak with them or to eat with them? When I asked myself that question, I was like, I'm a little bit sad nobody's inviting me. I mean, I've got a lot of righteous people who want to have meals with me, but I don't have many really ungodly, unholy people. And Jesus defied the orthodox conventions of his day and gladly accepted the invitation. Now, <clears throat> let me just put it in context. A strict lawkeeper in the Jewish culture would have no fellowship with anybody, and they would not observe all the rules and regulations of a conventional pharisaical piety. So if, if they weren't completely obeying the pharisaical rules, the Pharisee was not allowed to meet with them. He couldn't talk with them. He couldn't go on a journey with them. As far as possible, he was not even allowed to do business with them. If he married his daughter to one of them, it was they said, you ma you've married her off to a wild beast. <clears throat> he must never accept hospitality or offer hospitality to such a person. But Jesus says yes. And the experts in the law are not invited. So the passport to Jesus' presence seems to be my awareness of my need for him. Isn't that good news? The passport to the presence of Jesus seems to be your awareness of your need of him. Because the people who didn't think they needed him weren't invited. But the people who knew they did were making the invitation. So let's read the story. Mark 2 from verse 15. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And when the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, 
they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus said, I came for this reason, to be a healer for sinners and for those whose lives have been so mangled that they know they're in trouble. When last did you know your life was in trouble? Because I've been walking with the Lord over 40 years. And, and, and really trying to live a life worthy of the call of God in my life. So, so it's like, like I'm, I don't have like a lot of shameful stuff, but I, 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 I come to this place where I realize, man, I am so desperately in need of Jesus every day. But it's easy to forget that if we hang around good and wonderful and wonderful people. Jesus looked and went to meet with people whose sickness had reached malignant levels. And if you're here today and some of the things that you've done have, have still scare you and, and you look around and we all seem too holy for you, remember that all of us in this room had a terminal disease known as sin. And our diagnosis was death, but we were all shown grace. And we all needed Jesus to step into our lives and to make any sort of sense of them. And we all still need Jesus every single day. Jesus came for the sick. Excuse me. The Jews despised tax collectors as being unpatriotic, dishonest, irreligious. The Pharisees despised Jesus when they saw him eating with them. These were the people who had voted unpatriotically. They were squarely aligned with the other political philosophy. Jesus' reply was undisguised irony. Straight over their heads. He said, I didn't come for those who were whole and those who were righteous. I came for sinners and those who need a doctor. And the Pharisees said, well then, okay, I suppose you should go ahead. Straight over their head. Because Jesus came for everybody. Not just for those people who were obviously and evidently sinners, but for these people who were evidently sinners to everybody else but them. Mankind's most sufficient sacrifice had appeared right to them, but their self-righteousness blinded them to their need of Him. And Jesus refused to deny that He's meeting with sinners. He didn't say, oh, no, they're, not. they're all wonderful people. He goes, yeah, no, I am meeting with them. But He was quick to point out that it's because I've come to fix something in their life. I'm not celebrating. I'm not embracing their sin. I'm not saying it's valid. I'm not sanctioning it. But I'm gonna meet with these people because they're sick and I'm the doctor. I got the antidote. Something's bitten them and I got the antidote and you don't want me to get in the room with them. Because they forgot. It's not Jesus condoning sin, but the reality is that if some, Jesus goes in there and they believe on him, they cease to be sinners. Jesus had, some, he had much more success with sinners because unlike the self-righteous Pharisees, the sinners were conscious of their need and receptive of his message. <laughs> If you're conscious of your need for Jesus today, that's a very healthy place to be. I hope I'm giving hope to some people in the room. Because you're sitting there going, man, I don't think I fit in with all these holy people. You come to the right place. Jesus said they're sick. They need a doctor. They're sinners. They need a savior. 
because God Almighty had stooped down and fitted himself into flesh to put himself within the reach of those sinners. And his condescension is the visible measure of how much he loves. But somehow we've got this idea of a hermit church is the best way to fulfill the Great Commission. But a hermit church is nothing less than a sacrifice of the plan of Jesus Christ for the redemption of the world. We cannot just go, we get, we'll keep those ugly people out. There's gonna be us four no more, we holy few. That is not gonna get it done. And that's not what Jesus died for. Duty is no less dangerous a duty is no less duty because it's dangerous. And we have to take care that we're not polluted by the world. That's still true. But we're still called to eat with the people. See, what the Pharisees didn't understand, and what Matthew makes plain in his gospel, is that they were the worst of sinners. This is what Matthew says. This is the Smith's Bible Dictionary. It says, Levi himself gives us a graphic description in his account of the gospel of the kind of people the Pharisees really are. He describes them as impenitent, arrogant, oppressive, demanding, legalistic, hypocritical, and hell-bound vipers. And those are the scriptures. And they were like, oh yeah, no, Jesus, step aside, go and help them. <laughs> Remember, Jesus came for sinners. And Paul said, here's a trustworthy saying, I'm the worst of them. Never used to understand that. Never used to understand that. But I've suddenly realized, you know what Paul said? He used, to, he used to remind himself, Christ Jesus came into this world. He said, here's a trustworthy saying. Remember this poem. This is good theology. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners, and I'm the worst. Okay, but Paul, you yourself said, we're no longer sinners, we're brand new creations. Yeah, but Paul was just reminding himself, hey, hey, hey you have to have a mindset I'm not above these people. I didn't qualify me to be above these people who need the same grace that I desperately needed then and I still need today. We should go out into all the world with the same spirit. It means we go out into every sphere and to every place and to every people and we blow this trumpet and we announce the jubilee year. We herald the love and grace of God to people just like us who didn't deserve it. Yeah. Jesus came and his mission was for the sick. 1 Timothy, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example to those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. I was gonna talk about Jesus, James, and John. Don't have time. Let me just tell you what I, what I was gonna say in a brief nutshell. Jesus here said to them, I came to seek and the lost. I came to go after sinners. I came to go after those who are unwhole and those who are sick. That's my purpose. And, I, and I, if, I, if I could just say something, I, if, if I, Michelle was asking me today if there was something I wanted to, to everybody to leave with, I just wanna leave with everyone in this room, just have a little more space in your heart for somebody who's unwhole and broken and not doing well and whose life is mangled up and who's made some horrendous mistakes, like you and me. 
And maybe there's some people out there this week that the Lord will bump you into and that we, we don't take the attitude of, well, I, I can't be part of these sinners. It's somewhere in our heart there may be just a little more space to be accused of being a friend of sinners. I think at least once in your life you should have that accusation thrown against you. Just how dare you eat with them? Well, they got saved after the meal. <laughs> Jesus said, I came for them. And then Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. The reasons Jesus came, and, and can I just say this sometimes when we say, well, let's go out into all the world. Let's get into the seven mountains. Let's dominate. Let's take control. And let's bring them into the obedience of Christ. No, no, Jesus said, the way you go about this is loving service. I came, Jesus said, to love and serve. I didn't come to judge and correct. Jesus said, I came loving service. Because without love, you're just a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Loving service, not judgmental dominance. Hello? In my experience, the, the legalistic side of me, I'm not blaming the church, this is in me. This legalistic side of me loves the law, loves to be right, loves the holy seats in the house. The legalistic side of me wants to point out other people's problems while ignoring my own. The legalistic side of me wants to proclaim I'm right and the rest of you need to shine up. And can I just say, that's not the gospel. And that's not why Jesus came and it shouldn't be why we go. Some of you are feeling very uncomfortable now. I told you I was gonna poke the bear. <laughs> I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it as a condemnation. I'm really not. If you feel condemned, that's not the message that you heard. What I'm trying to do is just, just open up conversation in your heart and head. Because if I had a magic wand and could wave it, this is what I would wave and this is how it would be today or this week sometime. Your life and my life are gonna intersect with somebody who plainly, plainly does not deserve the faithfulness and the love and the kindness that Jesus is extending to them. Who haven't made good decisions, who have been rebels, who have done heinous things. Preach to them anyway. But they might take my service and do bad things. Serve them anyway. They might scorn my love. Love them anyway. Because we're not ashamed of this gospel. This good news, which friends, if, if, it, if it worked for me, it can work for anybody. This good news is that God loves you and he sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for all your brokenness for every rebellion, for every shameful act. And he can wash you white as snow. Now, if that doesn't move your heart, then you're not ready to hear the gospel, but I'm glad I told you, because that is the truth.
Let me close with this. Do you have something you want to say? Just bring a microphone myself. There was a, a lady who came to Jesus. She came, the Pharisee invited Jesus to a meal, very holy meeting. And a, a lady who was a, a, a whore, is the shocking word, came into the Pharisee's house. And she wept at Jesus' feet because she just didn't want to be a whore anymore. She wiped his feet with her hair. And everybody was shocked. And they said, if he knew who this woman was, he calls himself a prophet and he can't even discern this woman. And Jesus asked the question, do you see this woman? Who wouldn't recognize a whore in a Pharisee's house? I mean, it's hard to miss her. But not one of them saw the woman. They just saw the whore. Do you see this woman? And Jesus washed her and forgave her and gave her dignity. And she walked out more than anyone else in that room as in favor with God. That woman. And can I just say, I feel like the Lord's trying to inject a little more mercy into this legalistically bending heart. My prayer is that this week, the Lord have you bump shoulders with somebody like that who's just ready because they just don't want to be that anymore. And they're desperate, hopeful that maybe this message of, of God's goodness would apply to them. Is there some hope for me? Because in this world there has none. And you are commissioned with this gospel of good news and it can massively revolutionize their life. And I hope that this week when the Holy Spirit bumps you with them, that you take your shot. As I, as I was sitting there, I just felt like um, there's bubbling under testimonies in our, in our midst this morning that are yet to be seen. And one of the things we do every week is we, we, give, we give testimony because it's an invitation for God to do it again. And, and I just felt like there were testimonies that are yet, that are needing to be born. And what I mean by that is, um, Greg spoke about um, Jesus came for the sick, he came for the broken. And, and really, he came for all of us. And I was thinking of just, just two scriptures, and I'm going to um, summarize them now for, for time's sake. But in Jeremiah 33, he talks about, um, I will bring health and healing to my, I will heal my people. He talks about bringing Israel back from captivity. I will, re I will rebuild them. I will cleanse them and forgive all their sins of rebellion against me. In Isaiah 53, well-known passage of scripture, he says, he took up our pain and bore our suffering. And then he was crushed for our iniquities. He's talking about pain and he's talking about sin. And, and I just wanted to say to you, I was, I was having coffee with a friend th this week and she really just highlighted this for me. But it's been so much on, on my heart that I think sometimes we can come into, into church and we, we sit with our pain, even as believers. We are not, if you've accepted Jesus, you are not a sinner. You were a sinner, now you've been saved and you're a saint. 
but we walk around with the grave clothes around our feet and we feel like we can't move forward. And maybe your pain is, is divorce. Maybe your pain is an abortion. Maybe your pain is sexual abuse or any type of abuse. And that pain doesn't need to define you for the rest of your life because Jesus came for that pain. He sees it. And, and he loves you and he has purpose for you and destiny for you. And I just wanted to say, I feel like some of the testimonies that the Lord wants to begin to manifest are even sitting in our midst today. He has freedom for you. He loves you. He came, he bore your pain so you don't have to anymore. And I just wanted to put that out there. He was wounded so that you and I don't have to walk around wounded. And then he heals us so that we can go and share that with somebody else, and they get healed. And I just feel like this morning there's going to be a domino effect in the spirit because he, I just believe God wants to bring healing this Amen. morning. Can you uh, pray with us? We, we're just going to pray for We're going to pray for us, and then we're going to ask the Lord to give us some significant moments this week so that you can take the kindness and the goodness and the grace that was shown to you, and you can dare to tell somebody else, I think this will stretch to you. Let's pray. Lord, for, for those of us in the room today who are just going, Lord, I, I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. I need you to once again, Lord, pour out um, your grace. Lord, as we heard last week, we, we approach the throne of grace with confidence to receive mercy and to find grace to help us in our time of need. And today, Lord, for many of us, that's the truth. So forgive us, Lord, and wash us again and draw us again and change us again and uh, Lord break the accusing laughter of the condemner once and for all over many people's life and then Lord we pray that you would somehow this week somewhere help us to find somebody who really needs to hear about your goodness the good news that you've sent a redeemer and he can change their entire life. So I pray for those moments and I pray for boldness for us, Lord, and for courage to say the right thing. And I pray, Lord, for salvation to visit, Lord, all over the city this week because people proclaim this good news. We give you honor and thank you in Jesus' name.